thank you for sharing that. It's really encouraging, and it, it really fits with what we want to talk about today um, from our passage. I want to uh, start with, I was planning to go out, maybe, I don't know if you know, Hamilton is coming to Proctor's, and so Ben is interested in that, and, and I wanted to see it, and so we, we started looking up tickets, and like, oh, oh my, yes, uh, but then we discovered they have uh, limited obstructed view seats, and so I'm a bit of a cheapskate, so I went with those, and so we, we uh, have uh, much more reasonably priced tickets, and, you know, that, so I'm sure we'll still get to enjoy the musical from where we are, but Proctor's has inspired me. I'm thinking maybe what we should do, similar to them, is, is basically assign seats based on how much you give to the church. And so, you know, we'll kind of come up with a little map like they have. And, you know, if you really want to sit up front, it's going to, you better put a big, you know, big donation in. But wait, the front's open. You know, maybe it's the, the last pew. You know, whoever gives the most, because that's always where the, you know, the, the hard, you know, you have to get there early to kind of claim the back, the back row. Um, why, don't, why doesn't anyone sit up front? I mean, I don't spit that much. Um, James 2 tells us the Lord does not want his people to operate the same as a theater venue. So we are not allowed to instructed not to, uh, to do such a thing. In fact, we're given the specific command, show no partiality. And in verse 9, it says, if you show partiality, you have sinned. You're committing a sin. So I want to understand this whole passage, but I think that's the controlling thing. We got to, it's that, that first verse of show partiality is kind of the, the background to what God is saying to us. And so I want to look closely at that. And the key word, what is the word for partiality? The Greek compound word that, that's talking about when it says partiality is prosopolemsia. And that is, it. so it's a compound word. There's two words. And the two words are face receiving. And so it's talking about treating someone, receiving someone based upon the look of their face, the look of their appearance. It is to, to discriminate based on a person's face or appearances. There are six occurrences in the New Testament of that Greek word prosopolemsia in either the, the noun or verb form, so that the ending is different, but it's the same basic word. Um, so there's the two times in James... And then there's four other times. Three of them are Paul's letters, and one is in the, the letter back. So I want to hit each of those and show how, understanding how the word is used there will, will kind of guide us in what, what it, it's saying for us not to do. And each of those four passages, the ones I have on the screen, it says God shows no partiality, no prosopolemsia. So in Romans 2, it's talking about how God is dealing, God's dealings with people in, in judgment and how he responds to them. It says God re will render to peace people. It will be fair. It will not be based on whether you're a Jew or a Greek. In other words, it's not based on your nationality. Um, and it says, for God shows no partiality. God does not judge people 
based upon their face. Or the old King James reckoning of that was, God is no respecter of persons. Um, the Colossians, or Ephesians, I'm sorry, it's then talking about how in the church you had people who were masters and those who were bond servants, or sometimes the word slaves. In the Roman Empire, slavery was common. It was a, as it was a reality and the church was not able to undo that by its own will. And so when people came to faith in these Greek cities, there were people who came who, you know, all their lives had, be, had been slave owners. They were the upper crust. But they're also now in the same group, people who were bond servants, who owed service to a master. And now they're worshiping together, and Paul is writing to them and, and making clear that God does not look upon people with the same social reckoning that society does. God does not look upon that group that's worshiping in Ephesus and see masters and slaves. He sees men and women and people that belong to him. And so he says, masters, do not threaten or mistreat your servants because he, he is both their master and yours who is in heaven, right? In other words, masters, you are going to answer to God for how you treat this other person. And then it says, for there is no partiality with God. He is not a respecter of persons. In other words, God does not measure us by our social status. The Colossians passage is very similar, speaking of the same situation, but this time it's the converse. Instead of speaking to the master, it's speaking to the bondservant and says, basically, if you are mistreated, um, it says the good you do will be recognized by your master in heaven, even if the people of this world don't notice. And, and if the master does you wrong, he will be paid back. For with God, there is no partiality. God is no respecter of persons. So you may clear, see clear. So this, this is the, this phrase. And that's, it's, it's a part of a narrative story. In fact, I referred to the same verse about three weeks ago or so when I was talking about the spread of the church. In Acts 10, Peter has been led by the Holy Spirit, by God almost just taking his hand and dragging him to the household of Ro uh, the Roman centurion Cornelius. Right, the, the, the church at that point had been mainly Jewish, and they were reticent to tell the Romans, you know, the enemy, uh, as they saw it, about Jesus. But God engineers it, and he, he gets Peter to, to Cornelius' household and makes clear that Peter is there to tell them about the, the good news about Jesus. And it's then, it says in verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and says, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. God is not a respecter of persons. And he goes on to say, But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him, to God. So Peter has this realization that God does not judge people the way we tend to, by their race or nationality. God is no respecter of persons. Um, we are not defined by our race, nationality, social status, or even our sex. If we are in Christ, we are a son or daughter of God. That it, it's not how God works. He does not evaluate people by the outward appearance, 
but by our heart attitude, by our actions. So that's the background then for James 2. And basically James 2 is going to say, if that's how God is, then you as his people need to be the same. So my brothers, show no partiality as you hold forth in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Right? If you're holding on to Jesus, if you have faith in him, then you need to walk as Jesus did. Do not show partiality. We are representing our Lord in how we treat people both inside and outside the church. Jesus, right? He, he broke social customs all the time. They said, you know, he eats with sinners and tax collectors, right? He, he ate with people. He had dinner with people that, that, that a good Jewish person would, wouldn't have any dealings with. He talked to a Samaritan woman by the well. He let prostitutes get close to him. And he let one of them even, you know, she was so sad. Uh, uh, her, she was weeping because of her forgiveness of sins. She, she cleansed his feet with her hair. And Jesus had dealings with people whom others would, would say, no, you shouldn't do that. But Jesus, like, like his father, is no respecter of persons. Jesus was also willing to deal with the rich people, like Nicodemus. He gave even his opponents a chance. So, if God shows no partiality, if our Lord is not partiality, we should not either. Then in verses 2 and 3, it's, it switches to a specific example. And so it talks about two visitors in church. One who is clearly wealthy, and one who is poor and in shabby clothing. So, two men come to worship. The, the church greeter sizes them up, and right can, can, can take their measure. We could we can sort of figure people out, right, by how they're dressed. We often have sort of this, oh, yeah, yeah I could see just by looking at you. And we, we just have that tendency of measuring people, and that's what happens here. And so the, the wealthy man who's dressed well is given prime seating, right, given a good spot. Um, in fact, it, it says he's, our translation says he's wearing a gold ring. In, in the Greek, it's, it's like he's a Bond villain. He's gold-fingered. So that, the, that's, I found that interesting. So the gold-fingered one gets the good seat. The other man says, oh, I don't know if we have a spot for you. I guess you have to stand. Or I guess you could sit, sit at my feet. Like, no chair, just sit down. So he's treated shabbily. And, and verse 4 says, that should not be. Have you not made distinctions? Right? Or in other words, discriminated among yourselves. And it says you become judges with evil thoughts. You've made distinctions. You discriminated between two people based on their appearances. What does he mean by evil thoughts? Well, like, why would you give the good seat to the rich guy? Well, maybe you're thinking, you know, if we're nice to him, maybe he'll donate to the church. You know, maybe he'll give, maybe he'll pay for a new steeple, you know, get that fixed. Um, by the way, if anyone's here, they feel generous. We, we do need to get our steeple fixed. It's, it's on the, it's on the to-do list. So just so you know, um, so that, you know, you know, they're thinking like maybe we can get something out of them if, if we do this. I, uh, let's see, no, is that later? That's later. Um, the modern church, we're not supposed to do this. One, we have this passage. 
Um, and so we try not to treat people based on, you know, in this way. Though literally in old churches, like you literally bought your pew. Like you paid to have your pew installed and so you could sit there and no one else. Like, uh, but I think for the most part, we, we tend not to. But I do think it can sneak its way into church's partiality in other ways. And what, what I thought of was celebrity. It's not money, but celebrity can be just as corrupting. Um, can anyone name a Justin Bieber song? I know if anyone of that generation. Baby? Okay. Um, I know he got popular. I kind of missed the, his, his, his time. But I also know now he's a Christian. And for a while, he was going to a church in New York, Hillsong Church. And the, the, the pastor he was doing there was kind of trying to build a church of kind of with a lot of celebrities. And, and so I say it didn't work out well. There were some articles on this. And, and it says, so I read, read about this. It says, Justin Bieber is no longer a member of Hillsong Church. And it says he called out pastors who used organized religion and the devotion of their parishioners to bolster their own fame and name recognition. So, in other words, he felt like this guy only was friends with him because of the celebrity factor and was using him for that. And here, here's, what, here's what Justin Bieber said, I think, is, is so right on with James. He says, the reality is... Every human being has the same access to God, right? God is no respecter of persons. You know, just because you're famous in this world does not mean you're famous with God. Um, the good news is it's, the article goes on to say how he did connect with an old friend who's now a pastor and that, that this pastor treats him as a person with a relationship first. And so he is active and going into church. And so that's, that's excellent. We've got to rethink about, are there things that we end up showing partiality over, whether it's wealth or some other distinctions? In verse 5, James gives reasons why this is wrong, why it's not a good idea to do this. And the first thing he says, I said, not God chosen the poor to be rich in faith. So think about it. This person that got dismissed in the example, how do you know that person is not a spiritual giant? Right? Can you tell by their outward appearance that, that this person may, this person, for all you know, may have more faith in God and may do great things for God, and, and you're here relegating them to the, the you know, stand in the back. Have, has not God chosen the, the poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? What Jesus said, who will inherit the kingdom? The poor in spirit. Or do they inherit the earth? One or the other. Same thing. Right? Um, the poor spirit will inherit the kingdom. Um, the meek will inherit the earth. That's right. Same thing. Uh, and then the other reason it says this is wrong, you've dishonored the poor man. Someone who is a brother or sister in Christ, by the way you treated them, you dishonored them by making this judgment about their, their status. That was dishonoring. That's not, that's not the way we're called to treat one another. And then it goes on to give a different reason. It says, are not the rich of this world often in opposition to Christ's people and Christ's kingdom? And he goes on, you know, aren't the rich dragging you into court and doing all this stuff? And he's reminding them that in the situation of the church in that time, 
it was those with status who had power who were, who were persecuting the church, right? And is that the basis by which you want to measure people if they have status? Well, the ones of status are the ones trashing you. And then lastly, it simply talks about how it doesn't fit with, with God's character. It says, the honorable name by which you are called. You are called by the name of Christ. And showing partiality does not fit with how God is. God is no respecter of persons. And so by doing this, you are dishonoring the name of our God. Verse 8 reminds us that Jesus gave us a very simple law. Right? We have all the laws of the Old Testament, and they can get, you know, should we do this one? What, what about this? What about this? And Jesus says, you know, when you want to fulfill the law, it's pretty simple. So the royal law, royal just means king, right? The law of our king, and our king is Jesus. The law given by our king is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that's how we deal with him. But when it comes to our horizontal relationships, what's the law? Love your neighbor as yourself. How is showing partiality doing that? If you are just trying to get something from whoever, who's ever coming in. So in other words, even for the rich man, you're, you're hoping, well, maybe build a new steeple for the church. Is that really loving your neighbor by, by trying to engineer that? Here's a phrase. God made it that we would love people and use things. Right? He gave us things that... that we could use them for, for good purposes. Things like microphones and pews, you know, all that stuff. But people were called to love and care for. But instead, what do we do? We love things and use people. That's not how we're called to live. Then verse 9 just flat out says it. If you show partiality, you are committing a sin. And you will be convicted as a, a transgressor of the love of God's law. Right? So it just flat out says this is not what you're called to do. The last four verses, 10 to 13, heighten that. So it's, it's talking about how being a transgressor of the law. And here's what I think it's trying to answer. Right? You, say, you might say, this, this seems like just a little thing. Right? It's, what, what's the big deal? Right, with just doing this, you know, giving some one person a good seat and another person a not so good seat. Like, why is it such a problem? And so James is arguing that, you know, God gave the law, and if you break even a small part of it, you become a lawbreaker. And and the point of it being is remember you will have to answer for God how you treat people, and God cares if you dishonor the poor or the, the hurting or the one who gets left out. In fact, in Matthew 25, it talks, there's a parable where Jesus talks about how we will be judged before God by how we treat the poor, the hungry, the outcast. How we treat them is considered how we treat Jesus. And those who mistreat or are dismissive of the poor and the hungry, it says, they're told that they have to depart from Jesus because they're not one of his. So this is serious stuff, even though it might 
seem not so serious. It reminds us, well, one thought I have is it may seem like a small thing, but it can have a huge impact, right? If, if you're the one that you felt dishonored, right, if you feel like you're the one being discriminated against or, or someone's kind of dismissive of you because of some quality and you're not even sure what, doesn't that stick with you? It can have an outsized impact on even though it might seem like a small thing to the person doing it. James remind us, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. See, it comes down to this. You get a choice. Mercy or judgment. Whatever you apply to others gets applied to you. Which would you rather have from God? Mercy or judgment? Then do the same for others. So that's the passage. It's pretty clear. It's pretty strong. James is, is hitting his people, saying this is an important subject. You need to take, take stock of yourselves and how you live it out. I want to offer three, three applications that, as I meditated on this. And one of them is, as a congregation, one is kind of for each Christian, kind of personal. And one is thinking big picture of the church. So first is a church congregation. I think this is calling us to consider, well, we are called as a church to extend the welcome of Jesus Christ to whomever walks through our doors. I was thrilled to hear Matthew talk about how he felt welcomed when he came here. That is vital. Our desire is that if God is at work in someone's heart, where, wherever that, whoever they are, that th this could be a place where a place of grace where God's spirit can lead them and that they might feel that welcome from Jesus through us. And so maybe you have a regular, regular seat, right? And, and if someone comes in, maybe you, you know, you get here early, so you get that last pew. But if someone comes in here, no matter how they're dressed and they're new, you are, you are called to give up your seat to, to give them the good one. Right? You will stand in the back. We, we don't have that problem. We have plenty of seats. But you might have to come up and sit in the spit zone up front right? if, if we start to run low. Um, so my, my leader, my young life leader, told a story. Of, he, he was bringing some teenagers to, to church. And, and in the 90s, we had these things called goths. You know what those are? Kids who dressed all in black, and, uh, you know, they were kind of re rebels, and so that was the way you rebelled, is like, you look like death, and, you know, you have this. But these, Jesus was doing a work in these kids' hearts, and so he was bringing them to this church that he went to, and, and they, they sat in the back, and there's an older lady who sat there, and um, she's like, she knew, I, I, I'll make room for him. So she scooted over, and she made room for these kids that were coming with, with R.D., who was my young life leader. It was later um, in the 90s. And, and so she later talked to R.D. and was like, I don't know how to talk to these kids. Like, like I don't know what to say because they all kind of look like that. And he says, well, try exchanging earrings with them. And so that's what she did. They, she started trading. So she would give, 
you know, she had two, two the same. You know, the goth kids only wore one, and it's, they were different. So she would each give them one, and then they would give her hers. So she would end up with two different ones, and she and and it became a weekly thing, where she, that was a different way of extending welcome to people whom God's Spirit was doing a work within. So that's that's us as a congregation. And I, I hope and pray that we are doing that. That is one of, one of my prayers as pastor. Um, how do we do this as a, just a follower of Christ? And it's simple. We are not to measure people by the standards of this world. And, and this could take a lot of different forms, but we know the world sizes people up by their appearance, by their looks, by their social status. Um, it pushes people to, to make the main identity based on their, 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 their appearance. And we are not to be like that. We are, every person we meet, we, we know, is created and loved by God. So here's, here's the best verse in the Old Testament. I think, I think you should all memorize this. It comes from when Samuel the prophet was being sent to, to anoint the next king to, among, among um, the sons of Jesse. And so he sees these really tall, strong, strapping young men and thinks, ah, this, must, this will be the next king of Israel. And so he gets ready to anoint that one. And then God speaks in his ear and says, it's not going to be one of those guys. It'll be short little David. So here's the verse. Do not consider his height or his appearance, for I have rejected him, says the Lord. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So God chooses the short people over the tall people. I want that to be clear out of this passage. But that phrase, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Right? That's our society. Man, mankind, people. We measure each other by our outward appearance all the time in many ways. But we know we're called to emulate Christ who showed grace. And even those who might be indifferent to, to God or hostile to our faith, we, we, who but knows what God's doing in their life? Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because he saw they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so as, as we represent Jesus Christ we're, and represent the God of the universe, we know, we know the people of this world will form their view of, of God based on how they're treated by church people. Whew. That's heavy. It's a heavy weight. And it's only by his grace that we can ever ever get this right. So thinking about that, bigger picture, how does this apply to the church, like I said, the church in America? Because um, we have this command, do not show partiality, do not discriminate by outward appearance. So I, I was just talking to someone, they saw the movie Jesus Revolution. Um, I guess it's about hippies in the 70s coming to faith in Jesus and coming to the church. And I guess in the movie that some of the churches aren't really good at, at taking in these people who look a little different, who come in barefoot, and, you know, they, they kind of get... So the point of the movie, though, is they eventually they do have a pastor in a church that, that welcomes them in. But how has the church done in this area in showing partiality? 
And the truth is, when it comes to, to race, we in the church in America in our history has not have a good track record. Right? There have been times, especially in the formation of church congregations and denominations, where, where black people were shut out of white churches. And there's a legacy that, that um, people were treated differently. They were separated. Sometimes they might have been told, oh, the, the black people come, they've got to sit in the balcony. You're not welcome to sit here. Now, we know in our modern-day churches, I don't, I don't believe that's happening or see that happening in any way. We know that that's so wrong, but, but we just got to recognize that that was a reality in church history, and that shaped some things in the church. Um, Martin Luther King Jr., of course, the fam famous as a civil rights leader, he was a Bible preacher. And if you read his speeches, he is preaching the Bible, but he's just putting it in a way that applies more broadly. So his famous, I have a dream speech. What does he say? I have a dream that my four children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of skin, the content of their character. That is James 1, or James 2, verse 1, right? It's not being judged by your face, but by the content of your character. And, and he was speaking to a nation that was majority Christian, where most went to church, but they had not applied that passage to them in their life. And another one that, that really flows from the Bible says, I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at a table of brotherhood. That is the Bible, right? God does not divide his people, his church, um, that we are one in Christ. We're not divided by masters and servants. We are one in him. We, 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 uh, Galatians 3.20 says, 3.27 says, as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male and female, for you are one in Christ Jesus. And to divide God's people by race or social position or any of that is to depart from scriptural teaching. And I, I know we know that today. And the one reason why I think we're, we, we struggle as a church is, we, is that is that we have this legacy, this history. Um, can I, speaking maybe to the older Christians a bit, I know the younger generation is very attuned to this. This idea of not showing partiality, of not treating people wrong, of being sensitive to people in their, their things. I, I was overhearing when one of my daughters was going through the pre-college training course she had to do. And, and I was kind of on guard, like, are they going to, teacher this weird, you know, woke progressive stuff. And, but the truth be told, most of what she was getting was James 2, right? About not showing partiality, of being, being kind and considerate of people who are different from you. Speaking to younger people, I would say the world does not have the answer for the racial divisions in our, in our country. The, the current fads out there, the DEI or CRT, and they seem to me more like they're heightening division rather than um, they're telling people to, to, to make race or some other characteristic their main identity. And some of them even advocate discrimination and segregation. We, we got to know they don't have the answer. 
And my, my hope and my prayer is that the church could show the answer that we could live up to the calling that we're, we're given. It is not to be so in the body of Christ. So, so James gives the negative example. He gives the command not to. Do not show partiality. Paul in 1 Corinthians gives what it could be. And that's where we have the body of Christ image. Where he says, just as um, there's one body and many members. So it's talking about the church. The body is the church of Jesus Christ, pretty large. And it says there's many members of that body, but even though there are many, it's still one body, one church. Um, we talked in our class today about the communion of saints. By the Holy Spirit in us, we are united into one people group. In one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And so we all have been given the one spirit to drink. So by God's spirit, we are this one body. Of course, we shouldn't show partiality. Right? How, how does that even make sense? Verse 18, I think, is, is key. As it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. So if each person is a member of this body, so, so look around, right? If, if, God, if, some, if whatever your neighbor, God chose them to be a part of this body, right? And if you have a problem with them, then you've got to deal with God on that because he arranged it as, as it is. And our God delights in taking people of different backgrounds and diversities of personalities, people who think differently, and bringing us all into one body. It's, it's, he, he seems to enjoy that. You know, you watch, I don't know if you're watching The Chosen, uh, the, the thing, like how Jesus chose like tax collectors and zealots, and he chose fishermen, and, and he, he mixes them all together and, and says, you guys got to get along if you're going to hang out with me. Like he does that to us. He must have a plan. And I think he does have a plan. And so we got to realize what it talks about in 1 Corinthians. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And uh, the ear cannot say to the eye, I don't need you. Because God is at work and brings us together for his purposes. God arranged the parts of the body just as he wanted it to be. So know this. I believe the church has the opportunity to show a better way. We do. Um, I think we have a long road to hope for that because of how badly in our history, at least the church in America, we've done with this. So here's what I, I want us to do. I want us to think about 1 Corinthians 12. And so here's my charge to you. Some, some point this week, maybe later today, maybe tomorrow morning, read 1 Corinthians 12, especially the part about the body, 12 to 27. Because here's what I'm convinced, and I, I, the worship team can start coming on up. Um, our message would have a lot more power if we could live out 1 Corinthians 12. Right? I, I, think, I think the world is watching, especially younger generations, they're watching, can, can we do this? And they're not going to believe our message about Jesus if we're not attuned to this. So I just want you to read on your own 1 Corinthians 12. And what might God say to you about your interactions with people who are different from you? What might he convict you about? Because James is about taking a look at our life. If we're looking in the mirror. Is there something in my life that needs to be adjusted? So read 1 Corinthians 12 and just ask God, what do I need to hear from this passage?
me pray. Father, I ask that you would help us. Um, the world around us makes distinctions all the time. They discriminate, they judge by the, 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 the outward appearance of people. Lord, show us how to do it your way, how to love our neighbor, how to, how to care for people, even when they look different or when they act differently than seems right to us, Lord. Show us how to love them with the love of Jesus Christ, that we might be your people um, and that we might reflect the, the goodness of our, our, our Father. We pray this in his name. Amen. Let's sing our closing song. Oh, how